You're listening to audio from New King Church. If you'd like to get our weekly sermons, hit subscribe. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit newkingchurch.com. Hey, if you live in the greater Burlington area, on February 2nd, we are going to be moving from one service time at 1030 on Sundays to two service times at 930 and 11. We hope you'll come and join us. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of them says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that you would um, really open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts today uh, to hear uh, what you want to say to us. Lord, that the scripture and the message will come alive in our hearts. Um, but ultimately, Lord, that you would show us yourself, because um, that's who we want to see. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back if you've been away. Welcome back if you've been sick. Who got hit with the, uh, with the cold that went around? That's, that's a, yeah, that's a fewer number than I expected. Our whole house got it. Um, Man, that thing was nasty. Great way to start the new year. <laughs> um, we are uh, we're we're over it, uh, and praying that we stay over it. Um, we're in the middle of a series right now in the book of James, and so if um, if you do not have a Bible, I would love for you to follow along with us. We have couple ladies in the back that have Bibles in their hands, and so if you want a Bible, don't have a Bible, slip your hand up. If you forgot your Bible today, uh, slip your hand up, and we'll, we'll get one to you. And if you um, would like to take that home, that's our gift to you. Um, we are in this passage in James chapter 2, and uh, it's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It's one that that, uh, that shaped me greatly. It actually led to, um, it's, it's one of the, the key passages that led to me coming to faith in Jesus in college. Uh, many of you know that story. Um, but uh, we're going we're gonna to dive into it today and next week. I had to divide this one into two sermons because I just, because uh, Michael Lee keeps telling me to shorten my sermons. And so I figured, well, I'm going to have to definitely make this one too, um, because there's just so much good stuff to, to dig into in this text. So um, pray with me one more time, and let me just ask God to help us to see, help me to speak correctly, and then we'll, we'll dig into it. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for your word, which is um, true and reliable and consistent. And God, we thank you that uh, you give us your Holy Spirit to be able to understand um, your word. And I pray that you would do that now, that you would move among us 
Lord, and that your word would go forth and accomplish the thing for which you sent it, that um, hearts would be transformed as a result of your word, that seed would go down into good soil and um, that would produce fruit for the years to come. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So at the very core of our Christian faith is the doctrine that we are saved by grace through faith. That is absolutely core to our faith. Um, It means that we are forgiven, made right with God, or justified is another way of putting that, because of His grace. And grace is His undeserved favor toward us. And that we access that undeserved favor, that grace, through faith, through our belief, through our trust in Him. Many people believe, if they believe in God, they believe that when they stand before Him one day, that their their works, their deeds, will be placed on the scales and their good deeds on one side, their, their bad deeds on the other. And if their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds, then they will be granted access into heaven. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible um, shows us that uh, we, we, cannot, we cannot earn our way into God's favor, into his grace. We cannot be justified by our works or by our deeds. We cannot be good enough. The Bible actually teaches that um, we're, we're corrupted through and through, that our, our entire beings all the way down to the core are um, corrupted by sin. And so even in our, even our best deeds in our fallen state are like filthy rags before God. And we cannot be good enough to earn his favor, his grace. So we believe, the Bible teaches that we receive the grace of forgiveness, the grace of a new heart, the grace of new life through faith. Paul puts it this way in Romans 5, 1 and 2 in the CSB translation. It says, therefore... Since we have been declared righteous, we should have this verse. Can we put this one up on the screen? Romans 5, 1 through 2. I want you guys to see this. Do we have that one? We don't have that one. Well, if you have a Bible, it's, it's in Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous, which many translations say justified there, that's the most accurate, by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through Him by faith into His grace in which we stand. This is how we get to be in the presence of God. It's through Jesus by faith. Ephesians chapter 2 says it really plainly. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
when we place our faith in Jesus, we receive the benefits of the work that Jesus has done for us. His work on the cross. So Jesus, maybe you've heard that Jesus died on the cross for sins. That's what this is all about. Jesus went to his execution. He died on a cross, was crucified, a painful, awful death, in order to make payment for our sins, our rebellion against God, all of our wrongdoing against God. And he was buried, and on the third day, he rose from the dead because death could not hold him. He's the Son of God, the perfect one. He'd never sinned. He has the power over all things. And so he raised from the dead, and he preached that those that believe in him, that trust him, can have their sins forgiven because of the payment that he made and can be justified, made right with God because of what he did for them and can be given new life because he was raised to new life and can become a new creature. And so, we place our faith in Jesus, our sins are wiped out. This transaction occurs. Our sins are wiped out, and then his righteousness that he has, his perfect righteousness that he accomplished, is then credited to us. It's incredible. It's called the imputed righteousness of Christ. His righteousness is imputed to us. That's why Ephesians 2 says no one can boast. If we added one ounce of righteousness to our account, then we could boast. Even if it was just an ounce, we could say, well, I did that. But we don't add a single ounce of righteousness to our account. And so we cannot boast in the least. We are saved by grace, which means we can't add anything at all to our salvation. That is the best news in all the world. Because of what I said earlier, that we are corrupted through and through, we're hopeless. There is no way we could earn salvation. There's just no way we can be good enough. And so without God stepping in, without God doing the work for us, there would be no salvation. Now, historically, the way that Christians have stated all of this, what I've just shared, is that we are saved by grace alone, we don't add anything to it, through faith alone, it's only faith that accesses that grace, in Christ alone. He is the only Savior. He is the only one that we can come to the Father through. So we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this is what we believe at New King Church. Now, I want us to look at this passage in James chapter 2. And um, we're going to try and understand what he's talking about. Because in light of what I have just said, James chapter 2, verses um, 14 through the rest of the chapter, can, can be confusing at first glance. Down in... Verse 24, we didn't read it yet, but down in verse 24, he says this um, kind of strange statement. 
if you take it out of context, you see that a person is justified by works of the law and not by faith alone. Wait a second. Didn't we just say the opposite of that? (laughs) And didn't we just read in the Bible the opposite of that? And so if if you don't understand what James is explaining, this can certainly be tricky. Um, I want to show you that even though at first glance it may sound like James is contradicting the teaching of the New Testament, he is not at all, that he absolutely believes the teaching of the New Testament. He, as Michael shared with us, James is the head of the church in Jerusalem um, at this time. He's the brother of Jesus. He he is sound, and he is addressing an issue in this, in this passage. Let's look at James chapter 2 and verse 14. James chapter 2, verse 14. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Can that faith save him? The question that James is raising at the very beginning of this section is not, can faith save him? That's not the the, the question. He's not asking, are we saved by grace through faith? He is saying, can that faith, that particular faith, which does not have works that accompany it, can that faith save a person? He's wanting to help us to understand the very important question, what is faith? What is that? If, if it is by grace and it's through faith, then it is very important that we understand what this faith is, right? And so James just wants to clarify that. He wants to help us understand if we have it. He wants us to be able to look at our lives and say, I have that stuff called faith. And that's what this is about. He says, can that faith save him? That faith which produces no good works. James brings this up because there were people who claimed to be Christians and yet their lives looked no different than the world or they walked away from Christ altogether. In in 1 John, John talks about that they went out from us so that it would be clear that they were not of us, for if they had remained with us, then they would have been of us. So there were people who were walking away, there were people who were claiming to be Christians, but their lives didn't look anything like Jesus' life. They're still living greedy and selfish and angry and proud, and, and they said, you know, I'm saved by the free gift of grace, praise God, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing that um, Paul is also addressing in Romans chapter 6. We'll get there in just a, in a little bit. He's asking this rhetorical question. Can this particular kind of faith, namely faith that doesn't produce works, that doesn't produce obedience to God, can that faith save anyone? There have always been a a deceptive strand of teaching in the Christian faith, in the Christian teaching, that says that you can have genuine faith in Jesus 
and it not change your life. Because I got my, I got my pass, right? I, I'm, it's, it's by grace alone. And so people would say, you know, because it's by grace alone, then it doesn't matter how my life looks. And I would say that that's kind of like saying, um, imagine a, a bird that told his bird friends that he'd been transformed into a lion. And he's still got feathers, he's still flying, he's still living in a tree, eating berries. And he says, look, I'm a lion now. And they said, lions have hair. Lions live on the ground. And lions eat meat. Man, you're you're not a lion. Your your desires are still the same as, as ever. And that's a lot like what it, what it is to say, I'm a Christian, but my life hasn't changed. Nothing about my desires have changed. Right? I prayed a prayer. I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. I go to church on Sundays. I say my prayers. I've got, you know, my friends are at church. I have this, this circle of friends at church. My life hadn't changed. Still, I'm still in bondage to sin. Still do what I want to do, really, ultimately, when I want to do it. And so the fruit coming out of their life is no different than before they were a Christian. I believe this lie, personally, for 14 years of my life. Prayed a prayer when I was seven years old. I got baptized. I, understand, I understood intellectually the, the facts of the gospel. And believed historically that they happened, right? I I believed that Jesus was the Son of God, that He was the Messiah. I believed that He lived a sinless life. I believed that He died on the cross for sins, and I believed that He rose from the dead. I believed those facts intellectually. But what I learned when I actually read the Bible for myself as a college student and I explored what does this thing actually say, I learned that that's not what faith is. What he's going to say a little bit later, the next verse in verse 19 is, even the demons believe and shudder. They believe like that. They have better theology probably than all of us. They witnessed the death and the resurrection. So to believe the facts of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection is not the same as faith in Jesus. And it was the revelation of that truth, the revelation of the fact that my life had no evidence of a relationship with Jesus that actually led to my salvation. You see, if I claim to be a Christian, what am I claiming? Simply that I believe in a list of doctrines, or is it more than that? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, 
This means every true Christian is a new creation. So to claim to be a Christian is to claim to be a new creation. It's to say that I have an entirely new identity. What is that new identity? John 1, 12 through 13, Ephesians 1, 5, and Romans 8, 14 through 17 all say that we are adopted children of God. That our new identity is that we are children of God, heirs of his kingdom, and that we've been given his spirit to indwell us, to live inside of us. So you might say, well, that's just a heavenly reality. It doesn't necessarily affect your earthly life. But that's not what the teaching of the Scriptures say. Romans 6, 1-7. through 7. This is where Paul is addressing the very argument that because we are saved by grace, we ought to, we could just sin more. Because if we're saved by grace and that glorifies God, then let's sin more so that more grace has to be applied. Hallelujah, more grace, (laughs) right? But he says this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if you have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified in order with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. The Bible is incredibly clear on this, that our salvation means we have a new identity, that we are united with Christ. We're, we're one with Christ. And so we have this new identity And this new identity changes our behavior. Jesus says that we are born again. So from the very core, we become new. We become a new creation. Our identity changes, therefore our behavior changes. That's why Paul says these things. How can we who died to sin still live in it? He says we've been raised with Christ so that we we might walk in newness of life. He says our old nature died to sin so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. These things are not just heavenly realities, but earthly realities. When we're united to Jesus through real faith in him, our relationship with sin drastically changes. Our old self is brought to nothing so that we're no longer enslaved to sin. So what kind of faith is this? that would unite us to Christ so that we could be saved? The answer is a living faith. Look at what James says again in in chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, 
If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. The faith that saves is a living faith. By, he says in verse 17, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Dead faith cannot do anything. It doesn't save anyone. It's nothing more than empty words, like saying, go be warmed and filled and doing nothing to, to help a person. It's empty words. And so, faith that has no evidence to show for it, it's like empty words. It's saying, I'm a Christian, but having absolutely no change of life to show for that. And so, where else does the Bible teach this? Well, for one, it says, the unrighteous will not be in heaven. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. It says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He says, do not be deceived. The ungodly will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because you have a new identity, because you have been justified, sanctified, through Jesus Christ, through his work, your life will change. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. The fact that you say you are a follower of Jesus does not make you a follower of Jesus. If there is nothing to prove your faith. To claim to be a Christian is a claim to be a new creation, and it is a claim to have a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to give you a new heart. That's the promise of the new covenant. And your behavior shows whether or not this has happened to you. Your, your life, the, the, the decisions that you make, the behavior that you have, shows what's in the heart. This is Jesus' teaching all along. The things that come out of you prove what is in your heart. Just like the fruit that grows on the branches of a tree. Tell us what kind of a tree it is. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 12, 33 through 37. 
Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. What is Jesus saying? Is he saying your words will actually justify you like that that's if your words were good enough you'll be made right with god that's not at all what jesus taught he is saying your words will be the evidence that are put on display they will be put on display and god will say based upon the evidence we see true faith or based upon the evidence we see that this person did not really believe. If I was to stand before a judge and say, look, I didn't commit the murder, and that's what I profess with my mouth, but the prosecutor comes and brings the gun with the fingerprints on it and says, look, look at the fingerprints, right? Look at the fingerprints on the trigger. The, the, the evidence points to the reality. Now, the fingerprints on the trigger don't mean that I committed the murder. They, they didn't make me the murderer. They are the evidence. They're the evidence. And that's exactly what James is getting at. You could say, that the apples that grow on an apple tree don't make the tree an apple tree. And that's true. But they show us that it was an apple seed that was planted. It's been an apple tree from its very beginning. It started as an apple tree. It's still an apple tree. It's an apple tree through and through. And the fruit just tells us that. But if the tree is producing oranges and you insist that it's an apple tree, I'm going to say, I'm sorry, I just, I can't believe you. Because the fruit tells me it's not. That's what Jesus is teaching. That's what James is saying. The branches, if the branches of your life are filled with unrighteousness and you say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I am going to say... I'm sorry, the evidence doesn't give you much reason for confidence. Now, only God can judge the heart, and, and who knows where your life is going to end up. I'm not going to make a judgment right there. But listen, we're going to get to this later. The Bible tells us to test ourselves and see whether or not we're in the faith. And so, James says in verse 18, I will show you my faith by my works. What's he talking about there? Evidence. He's talking about evidence. I will show you my faith by my works. He's not talking about earning salvation or adding to salvation. So when he says down in verse 24, 
you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. He's saying the same thing that Jesus is saying in Matthew 12, that every person will be justified by their words or condemned by their words. Same thing. James says, faith that is by itself is dead. We've heard it said, it is by grace alone that we are saved, through faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. What the Bible teaches again and again and again is that the faith that saves will be accompanied by the evidence of works, of a changed life. It is not to say that Christians will never sin. That is not what I am saying. It is not to say that Christians will never backslide. That's not what I am saying. But it's to say that when you look at the overall trajectory of a Christian's life, you will see the grace of God at work Because the grace of God that covers and forgives is the same grace that empowers to change. That gives new desires. It's the same grace that gives you a new heart. And so over time you will see that a Christian grows and then falls and grows and falls and grows and falls. But the trajectory of their life will still be progressive sanctification. They will look more and more like Jesus, given enough time. Because the faith that saves connects us, unites us with Jesus, gives us a new identity, makes us a new creature, gives us a new heart, and results in new actions. So, what do you do with this? How, how do you respond to this? If, if, if this produces this sense of concern in you, then you're hearing it rightly. You're hearing it rightly. The, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test? This is what Paul is saying, and this is what I would say to you. Test yourself. Take take a step back. Look at the fruit of your life. See if there is evidence that Christ is in you. That's what Paul's saying. Examine and see. If Jesus is in you, if you are, in fact, united with Christ, there will be evidence. He is a powerful God. He doesn't come into a life and leave it unchanged. And so test your life. Take a look at the fruit. See what's coming out of it. Because it is very possible that your profession of faith was only that. What do we do then? When we test ourselves, when we look at our lives, what do we do? If we find that we are not showing the evidence of genuine faith, 
we repent. The Bible has this word, repent, and it means to turn from sin to God. It means to change your thinking. And so if you do not have the evidence of faith, rather than despairing, turn to God. Put your hope in him now. I went 14 years thinking I was a Christian and was not. And I turned to God and I met him. And he came into my life and changed me thoroughly. But what if you look at your life and you say, oh, praise God, I see the evidence of grace empowering me to change. Over time, it's been a hard and long road, and I've seen the ups and downs, but I see that Jesus is in me. What is my response? It's also repent. Look and see where is the sin in my life and turn away from that sin to God. We're going to talk about this next week, but Martin Luther said in his 95 Theses that he nailed to the Wittenberg door, that started the entire Protestant Reformation. He said, all of the Christian's life is one of repentance. Repentance. Every day. Every moment, if need be, turning away from sin again to God, crying out to Him, receiving forgiveness through Jesus. That is what the entire Christian life is marked by. We're going to go into that in depth next week. We're going to dig into the rest of this passage. We're going to look at what does repentance have to do with faith? Are they two separate things? Are they the same thing? Does the Bible talk much about repentance? Did Jesus talk about repentance? And I think it's going to be really helpful. But right now, I want just to give you an opportunity just to pray um, as we move into communion our time of response. I want to just give you, as we transition to that, just a time to stop and be before the Lord and, and test yourself. And if you're not in the faith, turn to Him. It is grace that you're here. It is grace that you're hearing this gospel right now. Turn to Him and believe, and He will save you. Let's pray. Father, I have no doubt that there are those in this room just like me for 14 years, just like, just like I was, who have been deceived. Satan's pulled the wool over their eyes and they have believed that they were Christian because they prayed a prayer. And God, I thank you that you open eyes. I thank you that you reveal, that you shine light, that you give repentance. And God, I pray that you would do that right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, come and move in this room. Strengthen your church. Draw those that don't know you. Save, God. Give us a greater understanding of what true faith is and what the true gospel is and give us an understanding of repentance according to your word. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.